Welcome to the Queer SLP Podcast. We are two speech-language pathologists who identify with the LGBT plus community. On each episode, we'll highlight relevant queer issues and stories from our field. The Queer SLP Podcast's mission is to provide informative and pertinent content from proud and chatty SLPs. Welcome to the sixth episode of the Queer SLP. I'm Hector, and my pronouns are he, him. And I'm Natalie, and my pronouns are she, her. We are so happy to have you back. Today, we're going to talk about diversity and inclusion, otherwise known as DNI, in the workplace, how it relates to cultural competency, and the importance of representation in materials and work-related media. But before we dive into yet another complex and multifaceted topic, Let's check in. Hector, how are you doing? I am doing decent. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mostly because the beginning of the school year is coming around. Uh And there's a little bit of extra anxiety with this one because of how the last school year ended. Mm -hmm. And so new expectations, uncertainty, lots of IEPs and reevaluations to catch up on and still not a lot of guidance yeah so that's where i'm at what about you i'm doing pretty okay i you know i've got the new job and right. i spent the last week adjusting to going into an office again which you know i've done for years and years but like after this long extended time at home it's really weird to go into an office and also doing all the precautions learning all the precautions because there's a lot of COVID precautions and you know just learning the job and trying to take everything in and yeah that's okay is it your own like office space or do, do you share it I do have an office okay that I good. can shut the door and take the mask off every once in a while because I do need to wear a mask pretty much all day right mm-hmm. but they provide you with all of that PPE oh yes yes they do awesome everything. we need that <laughs> that's how it should be <laughs> The Queer SLP's goal is to share the experiences and stories of queer professionals from every background and field and discuss topics as part of the continuing education you never asked for. So here you are. We are here informing you. So we'll approach this informative episode as we would a therapy session or lesson. We'll start by talking about some vocabulary and you'll be getting some background on DNI and current practices related to the LGBTQ plus community. Like any good SLP, we always like to draw connections from past lessons. In previous episodes, we spoke about cultural humility and the importance of coming out at work. Today, we are going to discuss the different ways all of these concepts intertwine. We are going to do our best to answer the following questions. Why should we care about DNI and representation? And how are we actually doing in both the private and public sectors by delving into the most current research and articles available? After we finish our mini lit review, as growing professionals, we are going to practice what we preach Mm -hmm. by using some cultural humility to analyze our own practices and material selection to see if we get a passing grade. Okay. Uh I I really don't know. (laughs) We're getting into that vulnerability again. That vulnerable, that, uh-huh. that thing. Can't get away from it. <laughs> that thing. Okay. So 
finally, we'll provide you with some doable asks that you can achieve today or tomorrow as part of your homework. So first, let's define diversity and inclusion. According to builtin.com, diversity refers to the traits and characteristics that make people unique, while inclusion refers to these behaviors and social norms that ensure that people feel welcome. Diversity training in its many iterations started off as a response to the civil rights movement. DNI in the corporate setting was initially developed in the late 80s and early 90s as a means to protect against civil rights suits. Fast forward to now, and the private sector has since found value in and developed DNI practices to improve workplace relations, employee satisfaction and productivity, recruitment and retention of highly capable staff innovative thinking, competitiveness at the international level, and returns on investment. So it sounds like there's a lot of benefits to DNI practices. Definitely. Yeah. Okay, so DNI is most commonly viewed as part of a continuum that assesses where an organization's diversity work lies. So this ranges from civil rights, affirmative action, managing diversity and inclusion, and diversity and inclusion as a strategic imperative. To basically sum it up, you start from one end, which is civil rights, basically saying, are your practices legal? What you're doing as an organization or a company is that within the Civil Rights Act and within legal bounds. The next step with affirmative action states whether or not your hiring practices are diverse and whether or not you have met certain quotas for diversity. The next step, managing diversity and inclusion, is more about how your company does it rather than kind of like checking off. Like, do we do this? What is our steps? Are we filling in the quota for that yearly training? Okay. (laughs) And then the last step, diversity and inclusion as a strategic imperative, states basically that your company or organization is on that end where we definitely find value in this. This is like a central part of our own practices and that we make it a important piece of what we do in everything as a company or organization. So what I'm picking up from this, Hector, is that at one side of the continuum, you have, you know, following the letter of the law. Right. As you move forward in the continuum, you're getting more towards valuing and celebrating diversity. Is that right? Yeah. Basically doing the bare minimum versus saying that this is a part of something that you actually value. So yeah, that's where you're at. Okay. So organizations that value DNI will make a statement of inclusion that is visible for all prospective employees to view. For example, this company does not discriminate in employment on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, including pregnancy and gender identity, national origin, political affiliation, sexual orientation, marital status, disability, genetic information, age, membership in an employee organization, retaliation, parental status, military service, or other non-merit factor. So try and figure out where your company or organization lies on the DNI continuum. And if you're not in the United States, try and figure out what DNI practices look like in your country or region. So now that you have some background information on DNI, let's move on to our next topic and the inspiration for this week's title, DNI and I. <laughs> in June of 2020, the Boston Consultant Group, BCG, 
released an article detailing the results of a survey completed in March 2020 together with New York City's Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Community Center, detailing current trends in DNI as it relates to the LGBTQ community. Historically, DNI has focused specifically on race and ethnicity as a means to measure best hiring practices. However, as those in the workplace feel more and more comfortable about coming out, considerations on how DNI include the LGBTQ plus community are coming to the forefront. And so the reason why this is coming to the forefront is because there have been two major generational shifts that have inspired this change. So first, acknowledging that past LGBT employee resource groups, or ERGs, and DNI practices previously focused on addressing the needs of cisgendered white gay males, who were the most visible cohort in the 90s and the early 2000s. But now, trends in diversity are working toward reflecting the diversity within the LGBTQ plus community. Results from the BCG survey revealed that the majority of those aged 18 to 24 are non-white, so 53%, versus 7% of those aged 55 or older. There's definitely a growing number of those who are non-white. Right. The diversity is It's exploding. It's exploding. (laughs) Similarly, 34% of the Gen Z LGBTQ workforce is Hispanic, while only 5% of those 55 and older are Hispanic. The number of women identifying as bisexual has also risen dramatically. In this sample, 57% of Gen Z and 47% of millennial LGBTQ women identify as bisexual. Hmm. Yes. So the survey also found a marked increase among all genders in the number of people who identify as multiple sexual orientations or as orientations other than gay, lesbian, or bisexual. The second shift that has occurred are the opinions of a much younger and inclusive heterosexual cohort. So as young generations enter the workforce and a general population moves away from a white majority, cisgendered heterosexuals are also coming out as allies and care more about the inclusion of the LGBTQ plus community. Love that. It has been well established that implementation of DNI practices results in improvements in the corporate setting, but the application of DNI in the healthcare or education field also encourages better health and education outcomes. So just like individuals in the private sector seek employment in companies that have a clear stance on DNI, healthcare professionals, patients, educators, and students also seek out employment and care from organizations, hospitals, school districts, and institutions that value DNI practices. So how are we doing? In August 2020, the National Library of Medicine released an article detailing race and visual representation in the medical literature. They looked at every issue of the New England Journal of Medicine and found that only 18% of the images depicted were of non-white skin tone, indicating an implicit bias in medical literature and training that may contribute to inequities in healthcare. If you think about earlier when we were talking about the percentage of non-white folks in the workplace that are coming in, what was it? 53%, right? So you have 53% of the young folks coming into the workplace young folks i'm I'm in my 40s now so i feel like i'm like i'm in my 30s there's no youth here (laughs) the little baby is coming in there's it's 53 percent yeah and then they look at 
the images depicted in medical field and only 18%. That's right. like, that is a huge, I mean, you really should have your materials reflect the population that you're serving. Especially if you're, if this is like educational and training materials. Right. So yeah, to me, that definitely is inequity. Yeah. For example, while in the healthcare field as a whole, cisgendered women outnumber cisgendered males four to one. Wow. Upper management and higher paying jobs still consist primarily of white cisgendered males. You know, I see this in speech language pathology too. Mm -hmm. Even though most of us are female, a lot of the professors were male. Yep. And white. So there you go. Private sector outcomes have been well researched, and a shift from DNI to DEI, so diversity, equity, and inclusion, is starting to take precedence. Companies are starting to focus more on incorporating equitable practices as part of their mission statement, such as including aspects of cultural humility, episode two, mm-hmm. to improve employees' day to day interactions, proving it's no longer enough to just talk the talk anymore. Having a diversity statement in regards to hiring practices is just not enough. So it sounds like the private sector as a whole has moved toward that right side of that DNI continuum where they definitely have value in it. Right. And so they're realizing, oh, we need to also be equitable. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so that's the private sector. Let's look at how the public sector is doing. Okay. So one resource, and probably the main resource <laughs> for the public sector regarding DNI, is the Office of Diversity and Inclusion located through the Office of Personal Management. So you can look this up at www.opm.gov. So they are in charge of reviewing policy, reports, and trends through the federal government. So let's just say the selection related to the LGBTQ plus community has been removed. What? <laughs> wait, 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 what? And there hasn't been any real update since 2016 when President Obama was still in office. Hmm. 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 We'll just oh. leave that at that. Okay. <laughs> That's all we just can say some, about the public sector. <laughs> just reflect on that knowledge. Okay. So we've taken a look at DNI in the general workforce. Let's take a look at our own organization. Reflecting on current events. Mm-hmm. What we've learned since the murder of George Floyd is the importance of making a stance. And individual companies and larger organizations quickly made anti-racist statements. Clear anti-racist statements. Very clear. Okay. And some did later or and some did nothing at all. Okay. And there's a huge call to action right now for the private and public sectors to engage in conversations regarding racism, anti-racism, and diversity. So now, really more than ever, the social and ethical and financial impact observed from taking or not taking a stand has been seen across all industries. Right. So for SLPs, the national organization in the U.S. is the American Speech, Language, and Hearing Association, otherwise known as ASHA. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how ASHA is doing when it comes to DNI and representation. Just to take a look at ASHA a little bit. We looked at the 2019 ASHA member and affiliate profile for this information. Overall, most, as in 95.5%. Most. (laughs) So most of ASHA members and affiliates are female. About 13.8% of audiologists, 3.7% of SLPs, and 17.4% 
of those with dual certification are male. Yeah, we're SLPs. So 3.7% of us are male. About 8.3% of ASHA members and affiliates identify as racial minorities. 8.3. That's what? (laughs) I don't. I mean, hold, hold it. Yep. What? Yeah. Yeah. And about 5.8% identify as Hispanic or Latino. In contrast, 27.6% of the United States population identify as racial minorities. Mm-hmm. 16.3% identify as Hispanic or Latino. And this is from the U.S. Census Bureau from 2010. So that was 10 years ago. So, I mean, we're in a census year. I would wager that that's probably even more now. Yeah. I would not be surprised. Yeah. This is definitely an issue within our field. Yeah. And we should also note that we couldn't find any information about sexual orientation or gender identity on Asha's website. Right. So as far as how they're doing with us, we have no idea. (laughs) Yep. No idea. We don't know. So how can we do better, Asha? How? Start by improving recruitment at the school, college, and professional level. Call out and stress the importance of reaching a diverse audience and not just cisgendered white females. As a field, we can't just accept that we are a field of white cisgendered women. We really can't. We just can't accept that. No. Especially if we claim to care about the outcomes of our clients, who the majority are very much not white nor female. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what else can we say? We took a look at the DNI statements from ASHA. They do have it. They do have it. They have like three of them. Mm-hmm. And they talked the good game. They really did. Yeah. But clearly from the census information, we're, our outcomes just aren't reflecting our talk. Yeah. Well, and I want to note that, you know, and this is just my own observation, mm-hmm. getting back to talk about racial injustice. Right. When this came to the forefront in recent months, I felt like Ash's response was very watered down. Yeah. And didn't very clearly state an anti-racist stance. And it wasn't enough for me. And looking at the August-September ASHA Leader, they have this really awesome article. I'm going to tell you the title. It's called Standing Up, Speaking Out for Racial Justice. And the author is Belinda Daughtry. It's an awesome article. It's got a lot of great information. But why so late? It's been months. It's been months. You know, I think that it's important to have an immediate response. Right. And if we want to encourage people of color to enter this field, we need to be very clear that we are anti-racist. Right. And it needs to come from ASHA. Right. In my opinion. Agreed. I have the same opinion, so it must be true. It must be true because we agree. (laughs) And this is our podcast. Yay. Okay. So now that we've honestly reviewed our own governing organization, let's also be vulnerable and put our money where our mouth is and play, are my resources culturally sensitive? I don't know. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So we are going to honestly answer these 10 questions to evaluate our own therapeutic practices. This set of questions was selected from Karen Matsumoto Graz and Teachaway's own diversity checklist. Okay. This checklist can easily be adapted to assess the cultural sensitivity of your education and therapeutic materials and workplace media. So looking at this list, I already know that I have a lot of work to do. Yeah. (laughs) 
So we'll go through them one by one. Yeah. All right. So the first one is, are women, ethnic minorities, and people of diverse socioeconomic classes and religions portrayed in a non-stereotypical manner? Oh my gosh. God. Okay, so I would say that I do not do a good job here. I looked at some of the materials that I've made myself and seen that like most of the people in there are white. Mm-hmm. I think because I'm a woman, I tend to gravitate towards pictures of women. So there's plenty of women. Mm-hmm. But as far as ethnic minorities, it's not enough. And socioeconomic classes and religions, I don't think that I've paid attention to at all. What about you, Hector? I mean, I'll admit that I definitely am a purchaser of things. <laughs> so uh-huh. <laughs> when I think about one specifically that I'm like, oh, that's a big fail is the Arctic card that from the CH and it's Indian chief. Oh. And it has a man wearing a headdress. I just cringe thinking about that one. Oh. But otherwise, yeah, no, it's a fail on my end. Diverse socioeconomic classes and religions, like that's not even a thought. That's a, ugh, that's a, ooh, that's a uh, hurts. No. <laughs> so no, we failed that one. Hey, fail, okay. Do the materials include appropriate information about religion when religion is integral to the context? So for me, this one is more language-based if I were to think about my therapy. Okay. And so I've done my best to at the very least have the conversation about different beliefs but for the most part, it's very hard to feel that you can safely have those conversations. I very much avoid religious conversations in my work. Yeah. Like even if I have like, for example, a deck of cards that I've purchased and there's, you know, something related to Christmas trees or something, I will remove it. Right. I just don't even want to talk about it. Right. The question here is that, and not even the question, but the suggestion is that we include a religion but that we actually make it a conversation, you know? Yeah. Like the, and that's a scary conversation, I'm not going to lie. Right. But that's our own issues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one. Do materials focus on famous people, usually those of privileged class status, or are the accomplishments and hard work of poor and working class people given equal focus and respect? I think I, I, think I failed at this one, too. <laughs> So the material, I, you know, I have my own laminator. I make materials on my own a lot. I don't think that I will choose famous people, but I do not think that I give equal attention to poor and working class images, which, you know, when I was in the public schools, that was like most of what you were seeing. Right. And no, I don't think that I've succeeded at this one. I'm definitely not intentional. Which is Uh the problem. Yeah. I find that I know when I definitely showcase more, and that is admittedly Black History Month, because that is suggested. But, like, only during that month? But, like, mostly during that month. And that is, again, that is my... I take that on because it's efficient to just use what's available. Right. The culture of poverty is something we know about, and yeah. are sensitive to, but we don't even talk about it. And that is something that is, um, I can definitely do better with that. Yeah. Yeah. Do the resource materials include cultures represented by families in your community? No. <laughs> I, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I've tried more and more. So the population that at my school is a lot of African, especially East African populations. Uh-huh. And so I've tried to include more information that is specific to those cultures 
That's so and good. I'm tr- it's only this year. So. <laughs> but you're trying. It's about growth, yeah. right? It's about growth, not perfection. Right. So one good example that I had was... It was from this suggestion that I had about using um, how time, especially for ELL uh-huh. students, um, those concepts are very hard for them to grasp. And so mm-hmm. I decided to look up time in different languages uh-huh. and encourage the student to show me what they knew. And that was a good way that I felt I incorporated their culture. But it's awesome. That's one. Yeah. <laughs> one win. I know, right? <laughs> We're searching for some wins here. Yeah. All right. Are, oh, and this has something to do with the next one. Are there resource materials available for limited English proficient individuals in their native languages? I have one. Oh, gosh. I am so, I need to do my work here. <laughs> no. No, I don't have anything in other languages. No, like Spanish books or anything like Mm-mm. that? You know why? Because I'm worried if I try to read a Spanish book. I mean, not only do I not know what I would be reading but I don't want to butcher the language right you know so I don't feel comfortable doing that you know if anyone out there has any suggestions for me on that you know other than Rosetta Stone other than Rosetta Stone or Duolingo hit me up because I would love to know if if the monolingual SLP has any role in this that would be considered respectful Mm. because I don't want to offend anybody right room for growth room for growth I will grow Next question. Okay. Do you choose resources that are gender neutral? No. No. (laughs) I'm laughing, but I'm really crying on the inside because this feels terrible. Oh, my gosh. Like, and I, you know, I've looked at a lot of, especially things that I've purchased. Mm -hmm. And it's very often, you know, the girls are, have long hair and wear pigtails and are often in dresses. Mm -hmm. And... The moms are usually wearing heels and a dress and have long hair. And then usually the dads or adult males are wearing ties and boys have short hair and, you know, wearing jeans and a t-shirt. So that's things that I've purchased. I would have to go back and look at the materials that I've made. One of the things I get stuck on the most is assessments. So because they're so standardized, Mm -hmm. And we use them for eligibility decisions. And across the board, everybody uses something standardized, whether you're SLP, PT, psych, whatever. There's always that question, you know, one with pronouns. So does the student or child identify as he, him, she, her? Mm -hmm. And then do they know their sex? Are you a boy? Are you a girl? And so we're assigning these very early. Like, I think there's like a one test that, or it might be an example in this self where they say you're supposed to say a sentence incorrectly. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you're the kid you're testing, his name is Billy. You say, Billy is a girl, and they have to, like, correct it. Well, what if Billy identifies as a girl? Testing materials. Testing materials are terrible <laughs> because you're standardizing. So and you can't change them. Or... Yeah, so there's, uh, I don't know. That's a whole other oh conversation, along with pronouns, which we will also have in the future date. So don't worry, we will We're, address yeah. We're going to talk about those things in depth. Hopefully we have a trans SLP to help us. That would be great. I would love that. Okay. Next one. Mm -hmm. Do you choose resources that are inclusive of different body types? No. No. I don't even know if those are available. I haven't seen them. Have you looked? No. I haven't looked. So I don't know. I just lied. I don't know why I said they weren't available if I didn't look. Let me just own. I'm just going to own that. It was an excuse. But yeah, we need to work on that because even in the medical literature, 
I've never seen, I mean, other than like on a BMI scale, right. that's about yeah. it. Yeah, And, you know, I mean, for those of you that can't see me right now, which is everybody, I am a person of size and I've never felt welcome in a medical office. Right. And I have frequently had my fatness be the diagnosis for like even a sore throat. And I'm not kidding you. I go in for a sore throat and they'll be like, wow, like you have allergies because you are overweight. I mean, I'm very sensitive to it because of that. I've never seen any medical office have body diversity in their literature. When I think about the materials that I have, everyone depicted is in that quote average kind of range. We need to do better, world. Let's do better. Do you include resources that demonstrate a range of abilities and disabilities? Um, <laughs> no! Hector! Oh my gosh! I know. No! I didn't pick all of these to have us say no to all of them, but it was like, it's a good exercise. So it's a great exercise. Yeah. Cause even when you are part of a community that's marginalized, that just shows that you too have work to do. Yeah. And even if you mean well, right. you still have work to do. Cause you yeah. just don't know that you're yeah. not doing it. <laughs> you know, that's what cultural humility is. Right. Right. We're looking at this and you know, and we're not trying to shame each other. No, we're just laughing um, at ourselves or shame anyone else. This is how you grow. You start by looking at your own self. I think Michelle Obama said it best recently. It is what it is. It is what it is. (laughs) And so now we can improve it, though. Yeah. It doesn't always have to stay what it is. No. Okay. What else Mm, is there? Two more. There's two more. Okay. Are your materials sensitive to historical slash current events in the country you're working in and address these events appropriately? I sometimes do. I, especially when the kids ask. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah, if they ask me a question, I'm going to answer it. Okay, this is going to about to get deep. Okay. But every time that there's a school shooting, I have that conversation. Oh. And the kids are aware. They'll say, Mr. Miguel, are we safe? And I'm like, uh. I'll have conversations about the president. I'll have conversations. So a lot of the current events we talk about, historical events I could do better about, especially if it is something that is celebratory of a different culture, I could do better about that. But current events, yeah, you can't avoid them. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if any of my materials depict current events, but for sure, if a kid comes to me and they have a concern about a current event, Mm -hmm. I don't shy away from talking to them about it and you know connecting with them about it with my older elementary and then high school age and transitional age students i love cnn 10 Ooh, what's that um so cnn 10 is a daily video that's released from cnn and they break down current events around the world and i forget what his name is some guy I forget his name. He's so great, though, um, because he makes me laugh. But he breaks it down, and it's digestible for different ages and abilities. So it's a really good resource. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. Okay. One more? One more? Yep. One more. So do you include a variety of family makeups? So single parents, same-sex parents, bicultural families, adoptive, foster parents, etc., in your material selection. I think some of my materials do include bicultural families, mm-hmm. but I think I'm going to have to say no again. Yeah, it's a no for me too. Yeah. 
I think about how many families in the world just are quote I hate this non-traditional like I don't I don't support that term yeah you know it's I feel like that's even more and more what we're seeing at least inner city so yeah I need to do better so that's the 10 that's the 10 and uh I think we know what we need to work on Hector which is all of it yeah so (laughs) right (laughs) but let's do something like what's one thing that you feel you did well or do well on I don't know (laughs) I don't know (laughs) you gotta sandwich it with good okay before you I think what I did well has nothing to do with the things on this list. Yeah. But just that I'm looking at this list. Right. And examining my need for growth. Right. And being culturally hum- humilitized. Humble? <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. So, yeah, I think that's the, the good thing. I think that just that I'm here and I'm, I'm examining myself. Right. I would say similarly... Yeah, being open to this sort of like analysis and recognizing that there's no shame in it, even though I'm cringing right now. I know. <laughs> but there's a lot of, you know, I can't just accept that this is the way things are. Right. And that is the statement for me also is what can I improve upon? <laughs> How interesting. Yeah. <laughs> They're basically the same thing is there is room for growth in all of these questions. Mm-hmm. And again, you can cater these questions if you're doing your own specific to the communities that you work with and the work setting that you work with. So I think everybody, private, public, you name it, we can all use this list. Yeah. And I think it is a lot about looking at the community that you serve. But also, I think we live in a global community as well. And, you know, the Internet is a thing and people see different kinds of things. So I don't think that you need to restrict your materials to the community you're in. You can diversify it, you know, maybe even just take that national level of like 53% or whatever it was and have your materials be balanced to the national level or, in, you know, international level. Pick something. Just be balanced. Right. So we've given you all this information to manage. And so what are some simple doable tasks that you can complete today or tomorrow? So first ask yourself, what are my organizations or companies, this non-discriminatory practices? Are they clearly stated? And who are they stated for? Is it for employees, staff, customers, patients, clients, students, parents, etc.? I think we've noticed that discrimination doesn't just happen between one group. It could be through many different transactions. So figuring out what those are is going to be a good step. Right. Um, You can also ask yourself, is my organization quick to respond when called to action? That is, <laughs> you already know how we feel but again if you're in a large company that's a fortune 500 what has your company done if you're in the pt world physical therapy or psychology world what are you guys doing i already know what you guys are doing but you can ask yourself if you don't know <laughs> um you can also ask yourself Does your place of work or office have unisex restrooms? This is such an easy one, but because it's something cisgendered individuals take for granted, and this is the Queer SLP podcast, we want to make sure that we bring this up. Finally, does your company or school district have a DNI instructor, a team, or a task force, and can you join it? 
yeah be proactive if you can or feel comfortable but yeah. knowing that that is even something in place is a good first step and if your company or school doesn't you know why don't you see about starting one right revolution yeah all right so that's about all the time we have for today thanks for tuning into the queer slp podcast Today we learned about the importance of DNI in the workplace, especially as it pertains to the LGBTQ community. We also looked at the visibility and representation of diversity within educational, medical, and other industry-specific materials. If you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to a friend or colleague. If you are interested in being one of our proud professionals, we're on Instagram and Facebook at The Queer SLP, and our website is thequeerslp.com. You can listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Podbeans, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts, also at The Queer SLP. Tune in next week as we continue our Proud Professional series. Bye! Bye.